So the topic is, as you've seen in Revelation 13, the world has started to wander. I personally think uh, this is an uh, interesting topic. There's a lot in the world today happening. Um, 90 minutes is simply not enough to fill, you know, with everything that is going on in the world. So you'll for sure be able to say, well, there's more. Uh, but I'm going to give you some glimpses. We're going to take a look uh, at Revelation 13. We're, we're actually going to go verse by verse uh, until the mark of the beast, basically. And uh, we're going to take a look at a little bit of the meaning and relate it to see, does this have a fulfillment today? So that's the plan for the next uh, 90 minutes. Um, so some of it, I mean, I, I will not cover like exactly... All, all explanations because we simply don't have time, but I hope you will get a good, good taste uh, of this prophecy and what is going on in the world. And um, yeah, hopefully it will also inspire you uh, to, to preach the word, to share the word to the world. Um, so let us start with a word of prayer. You may bow your heads where you are with me. Father in heaven, I... I pray that your spirit may be here, uh, you may f um, come into our hearts, uh, pray that you may give us understanding about this important prophecy, I pray that you may put the words in my mouth, that it may be your words, and that we all may be uh, inspired and revived as a result. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so let's go to Revelation 13, we will mostly be in, in this, uh, this chapter, this place uh, of the Bible. and. Um, the question is, has the world uh, started to wander? Now, from the title you can already see that I believe so. And that's why I call it, the world has started to wander. And, uh, you know, you see, um, in 2013, since Pope Francis uh, became uh, elected, a lot has happened. He became internationally acknowledged very quickly. Uh, I believe, as I said, that the fulfillment of the prophecies of Revelation 13 uh, is, uh, is happening in front of our eyes. Uh, you see, uh, basically, a short overview. We have the two beasts, the beast of the sea uh, rising and the beast uh, of the earth. Um, and uh, if we take a look at just very briefly, we won't have time to go into Daniel 7, uh, but Daniel 7 is a good chapter to identify who Antichrist is. And if you, if you make a comparison, here are a few uh, similarities, there are more, between uh, Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. I just wanted to see these things so that we can see the connection, that we can understand that this is talking about the same power, the little horn in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, this, the beast of the sea. But here we have some similarities between the two chapters. Uh, number one, the beast arises out of the sea. And then we see a uh, leopard, bear, and a lion. We see, uh, we see parts of this, uh, about this, this, this beast. And, uh, and then we see that we see the ten horns appearing in both places, both chapters. And then it involves persecution uh, and war with the saints for this time period, as we see many times in Daniel and Revelation. 1260 days, and we know as Bible students, one day uh, equals, uh, one day in prophetic, apocalyptic prophecy equals a year. Prophecy that involves symbolism, pointing, uh, you can, involving a, a rising and fall of kingdoms. We have to apply uh, one 
uh, one day per year. Uh, we have some uh, references in Numbers and Ezekiel, and Jesus himself used this when he talked about the three days he was going to do his ministry. The third day, he's, he's at the goal. That's when he was going to be crucified. Then we have, uh, we see a number of men, uh, eyes of a man. And then he's talking about blasphemy against God. And in the relation, uh, speak great words against the Most High. And then we have, uh, it says, and he causes all to receive a mark. And in Daniel, this is talking about he's, he's to think to change times and law. So you have, you know, like I said, there's more similarities. And a study will show that this is the same power. The little horn and the beast of the sea. Now we're going to focus on Revelation 13, as I've said. We're going to now start in verse 1 and just go through here and briefly um, uh, take a look at these, these things. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Now what is sea representing in, in Revelation? What do we know? Bible students, tell me. Sorry? Multitude of people. So Revelation 17, 15 is a reference. So uh, peoples, uh, nations. Um, so it's what I, it, it was arising out of a populated area. See that. Uh, and then it says, uh, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now, the seven heads, if we go to Revelation 17, it's talking about that uh, these are seven hills, uh, seven mountains, sorry. And uh, we know that actually around, uh, around Rome, there's seven hills, actually. And at, at the foot of one of them, uh, you have the Vatican. Uh, but the Revelation 17 also talks, uh, verse 10 there, uh, um, says that, uh, and there, there are seven kings, five fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. Uh, and when he comes, he shall continue to a short space. Uh, I believe this is representing uh, seven world powers that have persecuted God's people through history. We have, for instance, uh, we have Babylon, uh, we, have, uh, we have Rome, uh, so we have uh, Egypt and so on. So we have, if, if you count these this, uh, big powers that have persecuted God's people, uh, uh, you, will, you will see that, uh, that this fits uh, very well. Uh, with this uh, with this explanation here um, okay so it said it has a blasphemous name according to the to the Bible what is blasphemy what is blasphemy so forgive sins yes put yourself in God's place okay very good so uh, you have uh, in John chapter 10 is talking about claiming to be God as what Jesus was accused for uh, because he was indeed God um, Mark, uh, Mark 2 is talking about uh, that they were accusing him for claiming to forgive sins. So these are the two, just as you said, uh, two, um, according to the Bible, two descriptions of, uh, uh, of what blasphemy is. Now, here are some, here's an interesting statement. I mean, there are many. I, I, for the sake of time, I don't have to have a, we don't have time to go into many of these quotes. But here's a quote from Pope John Paul II from 1995. It says, Have no fear when people call me the Vicar of Christ, when they say to me, Holy Father, or Your Holiness, or use titles similar to these, which seem even inimical, which means cause harm to the gospel. 
So they're quite open on this. Um, well, that, I mean, they're not trying to hide this. And in fact, before Pope Francis visited the US, Cardinal Stafford, he said, he comes as the Vicar of Christ. He comes to the United States as the Vicar of Christ. So that was said uh, before his visit. Um, Bible is using the term Antichrist uh, some places. And, and anti means against or in place of. And this is basically what the papacy is doing. Uh, the Pope, the priest, is taking the place of Christ. And also, a uh, study will show that it's going against Christ, against Christ's doctrines and principles. Um, and uh, basically, if you, I mean, if you look at the sanctuary, uh, Psalm 77 verse 13 says, Thy way of God is in the sanctuary. So if you want to know God's way, God's plan of salvation, God's GPS, if you want, um, go to the sanctuary. This is God's plan. And what all of these things in sanctuaries are representing, the papacy has cast down. They have made a counterfeit. And there's a very interesting study. Uh, I wish we would have time to go into that, but we don't. Um, so, but I would just want to make something clear. As we talk about this power and in the United States, we're not talking about the person. We're talking about the system, right? Uh, there are wonderful Catholics as well as uh, other Christians, uh, and they are, they are doing, according to, I mean, there are, there are many sincere, I believe, Catholics there. We're talking about the system here of the Catholic Church, uh, and uh, that has uh, been going against God's word, that, that, is, that is placing, uh, placing their own, uh, the, the standards of the church higher than the word of God, and so on. Okay, verse 2, Revelation 13. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him uh, his, great, his power, his throne, and great authority. Do you notice something uh, here? As when we have started Daniel 7, we know that these three, as we saw in the beginning, uh, the leopard, the bear, and lion are representing kingdoms. And this power is having some of the characteristics of these former kingdoms. And if you, if you are, um, if you look into the details here, it starts with a leopard. So he goes, you know, a leopard representing the uh, Greece in Daniel 7. And then the bear representing Medo-Persia. And then the lion, Babylon. So he goes, uh, explaining this backwards uh, from, from the leopard back to the lion. Uh, so that's, that's quite interesting. Um, and uh, then it says that the dragon gave him his power and seat. Now the dragon is Satan, we see from Revelation 12. That's, uh, and uh, Satan has been working through other kingdoms until this point. And now he's working through uh, the papacy. Um, and there's a quote here from uh, the rise of the uh, medieval church. Out of the ruins of political Rome arose the great moral empire in the giant form of the Roman church. So, this is uh, what happened. This is what history tells us. And uh, it was also given great authority. Can you imagine something, a greater authority than being given political and religious authority together? That's basically, this is the papacy. I mean, you, you can't really get more than that. Um, if you think about it. So instead of 
working directly through paganism, as the devil had been doing and other powers. Now he's using, he's working behind the scenes, behind the facade of a Christian organization. That's, that was smart of oh, the, devil, the devil, as he hoped to dis, you know, disguise his identity. Um, so Papal Rome, they basically took over the capital uh, of the Roman Empire now. So uh, where the seat of Caesar had been. So the, the dragon gave him his uh, seat and authority. Um, in, let's see here, okay, we'll read verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. This is representing the papacy. We had the, uh, I shared with you briefly the seven, the seven heads. As, it had, uh, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. This, world, uh, this word marveled can mean being amazed uh, or admire. They were amazed by, by the beast or they were admired by it. Now, now we have to ask the question, uh, is there any healing in this wound? Because we know that this wound and uh, the 1260 day started when they got, uh, when the papacy got uh, their power. Basically, we had the three kingdoms, remember the three horns, three of the ten horns representing kingdoms that the Roman Empire was divided into. They had to give space for this little horn coming, coming up among them. So they had to, these were to be taken up with the root, these three kingdoms. The last of them uh, was the Ostrogoths, uh, and they were hunted out of Rome uh, in 538. And this is when the papacy got, got, got more power. Uh, and later they were uh, extinguished. They, they, were, they uh, got completely defeated uh, further down in, in Italy. Uh, we have a quote here from the encyclopedia. Um, Berthier, which was the general of Napoleon, entered Rome on the 10th of February 1798 and proclaimed the Republic. In 1798 he made his entrance into Rome and abolished the papal government and established a secular one. Okay, so this is of course, you know, uh, the last event in the process of, of, of getting this, this, this deadly wound. It had been weakened uh, lately and, and as you heard this morning uh, Joachim was sharing about the French Revolution, uh, how people were so tired of the church, and here also atheism comes in. Uh, they wanted something completely new and tried the 10-day ten, ten week, which didn't work out well. They wanted nothing more with God to do. I mean, remember, this church, in God's name, had been persecuting God's people for 1260 years and saying, are you Catholic or Protestant? Do you, you, do you, uh, are you with us? You know, are we the church? Do you accept this? And if not, they would kill you. Um, we'll get back, back to this soon. Um, and in Daniel 12, as it also was mentioned earlier, Daniel 12 is showing us that 12, this, this, the end of this period, 1260 days, this is when the, the end of time started. In 1798, the end time started according to the Bible. So, can we see any healing of this wound? Now, I'm going to first start uh, by, by just mentioning uh, what happened in 1929. 
this was uh, it this year the, uh, the the power was given back more to the Pope the temporal uh, power was given him and he was given to rule the Vatican City uh, which is a very small part uh, of Rome and uh, since then I would say the wound has been healing drastically and in particular maybe uh, well the 50, last 50 years maybe more in particular the last 10 years uh, a lot has happened so the world was amazed by this beast, he says. The world was admi admired this beast. Um, one year ago, I, I had the privilege to visit the Reformation sites in Wittenberg and in other places of Germany. So this is Wittenberg. Uh, here is the, the, the council house here in the background. In front of that, they placed a big globe. And it says, uh, Reformation 2017, the whole world is in one color, red, the color of Reformation. And all over the city, uh, you see this, this sign, the sort of signs there, Luther 2017, 500 years of Reformation. Because this is, so in two years uh, from now, uh, there's going to be an anniversary, 500 years of Reformation, since Luther put up the 95 Thesis in Wittenberg at the Castle Church. Um, so, and then it says there, theme year, 2014. Reformation and politic. So, um, and this is interesting for, because for each year they're planning something big. That was quite obvious of, of a kind of a celebration for the 500 years or commemoration that they seem to more call it now. And because you saw this all over. For each year now until 2017, there's a theme year. 2014, the theme year was Reformation and politics. To me, that sounds like Revelation 13. Um, and I, I will share in a moment, a little bit later, about this uh, more in detail. But um, we see that... Uh, let's see here. Yeah, basically, uh, there will also happen something in 2017. Uh, it, it, is, uh, it is marking 50 years of dialogue between the Lutheran and the Catholic Church. So they, you know, they are trying to, I'll show in a moment an article about this, but they are really trying to narrow down the, the differences and come together. Uh, okay, so many reformers, as well as church leaders from the Reformation, they used to believe that uh, the Pope uh, or the papacy is the Antichrist. Uh, but, you know, if, if you ask a Protestant today, who is the Antichrist? I mean, many will not even know. Uh, many don't even study about these things. Uh, but there will be a quite confusion. But back then, it was quite clear, you know, what they believed, who Antichrist was. Okay. Um, I'm a nurse by profession, so I, I know that uh, healing of a wound can take time. You know, you, 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 sometimes you need to give it time, you need, to, you need to treat it, but I mean, it takes time. And that's the point, that's also here. It takes time, it's not going to heal or the night. It takes time and slowly it will get healed. Um, and since the Pope uh, have been, Pope Francis have been elected in 2013, things have changed. The world is really looking to the papacy and saying, man, what is this? What a nice person. 
and some some of the news articles since then uh, uh, I'll only give you a few examples it says uh, can Pope Francis heal the deep divisions in Christianity and here's another one Pope Francis continues to take the world by storm that's almost like Revelation 13 verse 3 that we just read right takes the world by storm all the world wonder and fall beast so and here, here's another one uh, Pope Francis is the only leader respected enough to end today's wars. So people are looking to him and for help. And in fact, Pope Francis has been a, like a peace advocate in many conflicts. United States and Cuba, Muslims and, 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 and Jews in Israel. Um, and also with, with ISIS, he had been thinking, you know, okay, let's fix this. And he has been asked, you know, how can we fix this? And, and he, so he's, he's been taking a role as a, as a peace Peace advocate in, in several conflicts. It's like in verse, in verse 4, it says, So they worshipped a dragon who gave authority to the beast. So basically, you know, if you're, if you're worshipping the beast, in reality you're worshipping the dragon. It says, but then it says, And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I mean, this is basically what, what is happening right now. Because they are saying, Look, you know, they're asking him to be the, the mediator in conflicts, okay, can, come and help us. So, I mean, who would dare to go to war against the papacy? I mean, that would be quite unthinkable now if, if, you're, if you know some, some politics and what's going on in the world. But instead, he is being asked to, be, to help in conflicts. So, I believe the world has indeed started to wander. Again, the wound is not completely healed yet. Then, it, then the world would be crazy, completely crazy. Uh, but it is healing, and I believe the world has started to wander. So back to this 500 years of Reformation, um, the commemoration here. The highest representative of, of German Protestantism, uh, Nikolaus Schneider. He, he was, uh, he's the chairman of, of the Council of the Evangelical Church in Germany. He met personally with Pope Francis. Uh, that was, I believe, last year. And... He went there to invite him to this Reformation anniversary event. Can you imagine that? I mean, the greatest leader of Protestantism in Germany. Is, uh, let's ask the Pope Francis. He's quite a nice person. Let's, let's invite him. I mean, obviously, there's more to the story. It's not just that he's a nice person. But, but, I mean, something is going on. You invite the head of the beast to take part of the commemoration of 500 years of Reformation. I mean, something is wrong if that happens. But it happened. And during this meeting, the Pope underlined how important it is for, for him that we as churches walk together on the path of testifying the faith in this world. And this, this leader, he said also that th these conversations with the Pope, it contributed to build trust. Why would the Pope visit Wittenberg where the 95 Theses were put 500 years earlier? Now, he has not answered officially yet whether or not he will come. I believe he will. Uh, time will show. But I will show in a moment uh, an article from the Catholic Church themselves regarding these things. Um, so, in, in the 1540s, a counter-reformation started from the Catholic Church as a result of the Reformation. And a lot happened, you know, uh, the way you interpret prophecy, then we have preterism and futurism came uh, against the historicist method of interpreting scripture as we as Seventh-day Adventists believe in. You know, some prophecies are, supposed, are fulfilled, 
Some are happening now, some are in the future. This is historicism. But preterism is focusing on the past and the monster fulfilled. Then we don't have to worry about the little horn and, and the beast. And that's what happened. And then also futurism puts everything, most of it into the future. Uh, so, you know, don't worry. Uh, so this is what's part of the result. But anyhow, so it was a counter-reformation as a response. Um, but then the last, the last decades, things have changed. Now instead of, of the, the, the counter-reformation, now it's more like, okay, well, let's come together instead. Let's come together. Let's forget the past. Forget about the 1260 years where we tried to kill you. And this is basically what is happening. Um, a reconciliation process has started between the Protestants and Catholic years ago. Um, and uh, it says there in, in an article, uh, Gerhard Feige, Catholic ecumenical officer bishop in Magdeburg, Germany. He says, one could almost say, I believe I have it here. Uh, no, I'll read it from here. It says, one could almost say that the Catholic Church has set out from the path of the Counter-Reformation unto that of the Co-Reformation. So this is what is happening. Now it's not Counter-Reformation, now it's Co-Reformation. Let's work together. Um, and he continues, he says, he, he also says that he sees evidence for this to develop during the coming years. And then he says, I would appreciate if this were not only happening in the leadership of the churches. Now that tells me that something is already going on in the leadership in the churches. But he wants more. He wants the people of the churches to also support this and act. He says, but everybody must change. Notice that. Everybody must change and get on the move. It remains to be clarified how much unity is necessary. So this is what the Catholic Ecumenical Office Bishop is saying. Now, during my visit to Wittenberg, Joel was also there, for those who don't know him. He can testify that what I'm saying is true, I hope. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so here is what is called the Luther Garden. Here, trees are to be planted. In the middle of the garden, there is a, a, a symbol of the Luther Rose. And there we have five trees planted. This is like in the middle. The, the point of this garden is it's an ecumenical garden. A church plants a tree and says, we want to unify. And then another, tree, and another church says, we also would like to take part. So this is a symbolic part for ecumenism. And they want 500 trees, one for each year of the Reformation. Um, so actually, I found many churches from Sweden, from Norway, from all over the world participating in this. Uh, from basically almost all continents, I found. It's not done yet. They need 500 trees. Um, and what is significant about this garden is this. They have numbered all the trees. I ran to every single tree in the garden. At this point, it was less than 300. And we had a really bad time. Uh, but uh, I wanted to see. I wanted to look for something. I'll tell you in a moment. Number one. Can you guess who has the tree number one? The Catholic Church. Here's, tree number, here's the sign for tree number one. And uh, tree number two, the Orthodox Church. Tree number three, the Anglican Communion. Number four, World Alliance of Reformed Churches. Number five, World Methodist Council, and so on. So this is in the middle of the garden. And then there are seven paths that symbolically lead out to the world. Now, I also heard some, some, some sad news, I have to say. I'm not happy to hear them. But part of the Adventist Church in Germany planted a tree here. That's why I was running around to see it. 
But I heard now I go to confirm that someone has been there now recently and said it's there now with the sign because not all of them had signs. So, we, but I just want you to know what is going on and now in the world um, because you know now is not the time to unify. It's not bad. Unity is not bad, right? True unity from God is good. But when you have to unify uh, in compromise of your doctrines, it's not good. Bible doctrines. Okay. Um, and one responsible for concept and design in the Luther garden, he says this about this garden. I hope this garden will one day grow into a park, a park in which people can gather under the trees, a park that grows together, just as our Christian world religion should grow together one day. I mean, this is, you will find that this is some of the points of this initiative of the 500 years, the celebration of this. This is what some of these forces are trying to push. Um, um, a unity of the, the world religions. So, I would say, this kind of unity is Satan's counterfeit to true unity in truth, based on God and his principles. Um, now, there has been an attempt to unity between Lutherans and Catholics. This, as I said in the beginning, it will mark the 50 years of this in 2017. So they have two reasons now to, to, to commemorate. The 500 years of Reformation and then the, the partnership for 50 years. So this is an article at the Vatican's official website. You can find it there. Uh, it says in this article, it's called From Conflict to Communion. It's made by the Lutherans and Catholics together. It says, the awareness is dawning on Lutherans and Catholics that the struggle of the 16th century is over. The reasons for mutually condemning each other's faith have fallen by the wayside. Thus, Lutherans and Catholics identify five imperatives as they commemorate 2017 together. So they, they're having five ways how they should successfully unite. Uh, and then it goes on, it says, in 2017, we must confess openly that we have been guilty before Christ of damaging the unity of the church. Can you imagine that? I mean, after the, now, now they are apologizing to one another and saying, sorry, we, you know, we should, we should have unified instead. And trying to forget the doctrines. It says, this commemorative, commemorative year presents us with two challenges. The purification and healing of memories and the restoration of Christian unity in accordance with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They also invite in this article, it's quite long, I haven't read all of it. It says that they invite all Christians to study this report open-mindedly and critically to come along on the way to a deeper communion of all Christians. It's like, if you don't join us, you know... You're not a real Christian. This is almost like it is. And come together now. So, I believe the world has started to wonder. I mean, how can this happen? The Lutheran church that bears the very name of Martin Luther is like, okay, you know, they, they, they had actually a, a joint declaration of the justification by faith uh, that was written together with the Catholics, Lutherans and Catholics. But I mean, the 95 theses are 95, not only one. There are more things more differences, more that was the protest. But now, they seem to for forget where they came from. And God forbid that the Adventist church would forget where we came from. We cannot forget our roots and how God has led this movement. So, 
Um, while the world is wandering, we have to make a stand. We have to speak up. Revelation 13, verses 5 to 6. Let's read that. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Here we have the 1260 years again. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, during this time, they were to blaspheme the tabernacle. They were to cast down the truths of the sanctuary. But praise God, he raised it up. He, raised, he, he restored the truths of the sanctuary that we today as a church believe in all the way, while the Catholic Church has counterfeit all of them, but now God has been bringing this to light through different movements. And finally, actually, the Amity Church was, was uh, part of it, restoring the last truth, God's law, including the Sabbath. So basically, this, this power, the papacy, they attempt to set up a temple, a physical temple, an organization on this earth, um, with their rituals, and thus they're drawing the attention away from the, from the sanctuary in heaven. You know, they have literal, the Pope is the literal head, the priest is the literal head, you know, the churches, but we have Christ, which is the invisible head of the body, the church. Throughout dark ages, uh, more than, from, from 50 to 150 million martyrs died. It was indeed a dark time. A sad time uh, during this earth's history but it was prophesied now an interesting sign note: we know how much you know uh, the, the papacy has blasphemed God but according to this uh, text in verse 7 it says that they were also to blaspheme those who dwell in heaven and there's a, in a quote here uh, it says Indeed, the excellence and power of the Roman pontiff is not only in the sphere of heavenly things, God and so on, earthly things, and those of the lower regions, but even above the angels, than whom he himself is greater. So he was to blaspheme against them that dwell in heaven, not only to God, not only to the sanctuary, and cast down these truths, but also, according to this, this quote, they're even above the angels. But then on the contrary, the Bible is talking about Christ, how he was came to this earth it's a little lower than angels. He became one of us, became came in the likeness of a man. So an interesting side note is, you know, Antichrist is exalting itself even above God. Christ, what did he do? He humbled himself, came to the lowest, down to this dark earth. You see a contrast here. This is why they are anti-Christ in place of Christ against Christ and this is what the sanctuary is all, all about the sanctuary is pointing to Christ all the way his sacrifice and also pointing out significant truths uh, that that God is part of God's way as I mentioned in the beginning now in uh, the 8th of December something something uh, else happened and that was uh, the the year of uh, or the Jubilee of Mercy started and this is usually taking place uh, about every 25 or, or 50 years, unless the Pope is, is making, you know, or want to announce a special jubilee. But this, this is a special jubilee. Uh, and they cho chose this date, because at this date, the 8th of December, 50 years ago, something happened. Vatican II, the Council of Vatican II, which is uh, called, 
Uh, this, was, this took place for quite a long time, but they finished on December 8th. And one of the important things that they decided here 50 years ago, uh, well, they made plans for ecumenical relations to reach other religions. Now, at this uh, Jubilee of Mercy, at, as he, as the Pope officially opened the door, uh, then uh, the Prime Minister, the President of Italy was there, and Be Belgium's royal family was there, and a lot of people. Now, the door is supposed to represent Christ. At this year, Pope has rewritten the rules. Now he says, all over the world, you know, until this point, it could only happen uh, that this door of mercy was, there was only one, and it was in Rome, and people had to come there, because if they pass through it, uh, through this uh, certain time, uh, they, they, the punishment will be taken away. They have to go to confessions too, to confess their, you know, for a priest, but then they will not have to be punished for their sins. You know, they make a difference between these, these things in, in this church. But now, now the Pope said, okay, uh, we can open uh, doors of mercy all over the world, so you don't have to come here. And I heard also, uh, someone said that not, this time not only Catholics can do it, anyone can do it. So the door is symbolizing Christ, but we know, uh, I mean, Christ is the only way to salvation. Not, not this man-made system, you have to do this, you have to come and confess for a priest, you have to do this not to be punished for your sins. And they have just twisted so many things. And it's, it's very, it's, it's sad to see. But praise God for also lifting up the truth to this world, I believe, through, uh, through his remnant church. Um, okay, so let's read verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8, it says, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I believe that this 1250 years of persecution is a foretaste. What is going to take place with uh, God's people in the future? Similar things will take place. Uh, history, part of our history will repeat itself. We are going to face similar things if we stand up for the truth, just as they did. So we better get prepared, because I believe that things are getting tighter in this world in, in relation to, to, uh, to this prophecy. Things are getting harder. Uh, we see here that the two groups that will be in the end. One group will worship the beast. Another group, they will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The true Lamb, Jesus Christ. So you see, it's going to be a great contrast in the end. Now look at what it says in, uh, let's see here, verse, now let's continue. It says, now, now comes this verse, which basically tells you, pay attention. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So now, okay, now something significant is happening in the prophecy. Then it says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So now, uh, basically, the one who was taken in captivity and killing with a sword, now it's his turn to get his back on him. And what happened? We know that uh, papacy received the wound in 1798. Now the, their power was, was, um, was, was wounded. Uh, we know the, the Pope was imprisoned and, uh, 
uh, and taken uh, and then later died and, and the papacy lost his power. So now it was uh, their turn to get, get into captivity and also this is, uh, I believe, also prophesying the ultimate end of uh, what will happen with, uh, with this power and it has to face punishment. Okay, um, it says here also, you know, it, uh, slain from the foundation of the world. We know that from, from the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world, it was decided about the plan of salvation. This is what it's referring to. Um, so now in verse, let me see here. Well, we know Jesus, he was actually warning about this. And Matthew 26, verse 52, it says, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into this place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Romans 5, 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So, for those who took up the sword, they will perish with the sword. Papacy received its, its wound. But then, we have the, 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 the saints, it is asked to be patient. And also, God can turn a disaster into to something good. God can turn a disappointment into an appointment. So, tribulation works patience. If you continue to read, it's telling how he works on our characters. And we need this. God knows we need this. To purify our characters. And especially in then, you know, we'll have uh, interesting, um, a special group. Uh, this last generation that will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Um, that is going to go through a lot of trials. Uh, do we need some air in here? I see some of you are getting tired. Uh, it's quite warm. If, you, if someone wants to open a window or something, it's feel free. To, oh, it's not possible any longer, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, if someone finds a solution to that, feel free. Um, okay, let us now go to the second beast. Um, so we are now in verse 11, and now it starts getting excited. Now it's going to knit these things together. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So on the contrary, this beast will not come out from the sea, symbolizing nations and peoples. It's going to come out from the earth. What do you think that symbolizes? It's not going to be a very populated area, very sparingly people. This beast was going to rise up through. And if you go to Revelation 12, 16, it tells this. The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon has spewed out of his mouth. So if you see this in together, this place was prophesied to help the woman, God's church. Now, we believe that this is United States. And this is indeed what was taking place in the 1600s. We had uh, Puritans that were fleeing from England to the United States. Uh, in the, in the 17, uh, after this, the, the Salzburgers from Austria fled. In the 17th century also, the 400,000 French Protestants were fleeing to the earth, to the United States, to seek freedom. And this was not a populated area. And we also have to understand that as the papacy got his wound, as we just read, it's in this time that this nation was developing. 
rising up. And in fact, this, this word coming up in Greek means a process of development. It's a growing up. It's the same word is using for plants growing. So we can imagine, I mean, it's a process. A plant is growing. And this is indeed what happened in the United States. Slowly it grew in, into a nation. Um, so, for, as, as these 1260 years were horrible for God's people, many of them fled to the earth and got help. Uh, and the United States, they got their independence in 1776, the Constitution in 1787, Bill of Rights 1791. And here's an interesting quote from, uh, from uh, G.A. Townsend. He said, like a silent seed, we grew into, into empire. This is from a book. So interesting description in relation to, if you look at this word, which, which we, we saw and, uh, means growing up, like a process of development. Now, um, obviously they went here to, to, to have more freedom in religion, freedom to worship as they wanted, and uh, it was during this time, around 1798, as we see, the United States was growing, growing into power and importance. And also, we see that this was to have two horns like a lamb. Now, lamb is a symbol of who? Christ. So could we expect that this nation is going to maybe be a Christian nation, maybe have something Christian in it? This is interesting, I, I, I think. And with this, these two horns are, are indicating, I'll show you some quotes in a moment, they are indicating liberty and gentleness. Basically, they are... Uh, showing the, the, the two fundamental principles, republicanism and protestantism, civil and religious liberty. And White says uh, in, uh, okay, I'll see, I don't have it there. We'll get to this one in a moment. Let me go back. Um, she says in, in uh, the Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 9, uh, 975. Here is a striking figure of the rise and growth of our own nation. And the lamb-like horns, emblems of innocence and gentleness, well represented the character of our government, as expressed in the two fundamental principles, republicanism and protestantism. Now she says in Great Controversy, page 441, the lamb-like horns indicate youth, innocence and gentleness, fitly representing the character of the United States when presented to the prophet as coming up in 1798. So, but we see also, that according to the America was going to speak like a dragon. Now, so this is, a, this is tricky. It's a nation that have, it was lamb-like, but then it was going to speak like a dragon. So it's going to come sneaking, and, and maybe people won't see it right away. Um, the con their constitution is guaranteeing freedom. So something has to take place in this politic, politics, in their politics, to, for, for them to be, you know, be able to I mean, speaking like a dragon, then something, something is wrong. Uh, and looking at what they are based upon, some great changes have, have to take place. Um, and I believe we can see, we can see part of that uh, today. Uh, we don't have time to go in so much into that. Um, let us now see when, when can we expect this cooperation between these two beasts to be complete? 
first of this, first of all, let, let's read verse 12 in Revelation 13 so we get the context. It says, and he exercises, that is, uh, that is United States, and he, this is the second beast, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast, the papacy, in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So United States is, is going to do the actions of the papacy and, and make, um, and incorporate with the papacy, exercise all power of it. Um, and um, basically exercise this power, which we understand, we know is both religious and political. Um, so basically United States has to make a complete reversal of the, their foundation as a country and their policy of granting full freedom. Now, listen to this quote from Testimonies, Volume 5, page 451. By the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy in violation of the law of God, our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp the hands with spiritualism, when under influence of this threefold union, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government, and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions, then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan, and that the time is the end is near. So, as I said, um, this is indicating that the first beast, uh, the first beast, or first of all, the United States has to make a complete change uh, of their, their constitution. And also, this indicates that the first beast, the papacy, uh, it would be quite logical that they would have to have some kind of influence into this government here, in the United States. And can we see this today? I, I believe so. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you some, some facts now about, the, um, about American politics. In America, there's one Catholic vice president. There's six Catholic Supreme Court uh, justices. One Catholic Speaker of the House. And a large number of Catholics in Congress. I mean, this is significant. Looking back only some, I don't know, 20 years, maybe longer. Um, so, but there, is, there needs to come... Some regulations in the future, which indicates forced worship and observance uh, of, of this, uh, of Sunday and so on, uh, that the world needs to follow. And we know, we don't have to go much into the mark of the beast now, uh, but uh, the Catholic Church themselves say, Sunday is our mark of our authority. Sunday is the mark of our authority. Looking at God's seal, it's very easy to figure out that this is the Sabbath, and Satan always has a counterfeit, so it would be quite logical that this is also symbolizing a day which uh, we believe is Sunday. So, but, on the contrary, here we have uh, the beast and the world, uh, the, the world following the beast, on the contrary, God's people will do something else. This is false worship. God's people is going to worship God, we have the 300 messages calling to true worship, and this is what we have to do, and this is the message we have to spread to the world and lift up. Now, let us take a look at some, uh, some more facts from our time. Uh, in 2013, 
we know that Pope Francis was elected and very quickly, as I said, he got acknowledged internationally. He became the person of the year by Times Magazine, which you know is perhaps the, the most famous magazine in the world. Um, and, and, uh, and it's interesting how the, the author there said that the Pope pulled the papacy out of the palace and into the streets. 2014, uh, Obama, if this is from this article, uh, Times Magazine was listing the 100 most influential people in the world. And Pope Francis was one of them. And as you see on the screen, I mean, they had one writer on each. And it's quite interesting to see that Barack Obama wrote about Pope Francis. He was elected to write about, wrote about Pope Francis. And it starts like this. A moral, he's calling it uh, the title, a moral leader in word and deed. That says a lot. And then he starts, rare is the leader who makes us want to be better people. Pope Francis is such a leader. So, this is Obama's moral leader, which he believes he's speaking on behalf of many others. A moral leader, that says a lot. And we'll get, we'll get back to this in a moment. In 2015 now, and even before, I think, uh, the Pope has been called the People's Pope. You know, he's very popular, uh, not only among Catholics. This time, CBC News called him, call him that and as, they, as, as they made a review of his year. And then, he says, then they said this in, a, in their video. He said, the only predictable, predictable thing about Pope Francis is that he will do the unpredictable. The only predictable thing about Pope Francis is that he will do the unpredictable. And it's quite fitting, I believe, because he has done so many unpredictable things so far, changing things. And I don't know if you've seen these uh, like interviews with people or videos of people that have seen Pope Francis, that have met with him. Have you seen some of this? And how he has been blessing them. People are crying and they're just, man, it was wonderful. Oh, I, I looked into his eyes. And, and one, of this, one, of this, one of the crew from American Airlines that took Pope Francis through the United States on his uh, US visit said this. said, it felt like looking in the eyes of God. And then he said... The sacred journey was life-changing. The world has started to wonder. Now, as we know, uh, this year, Pope Francis, he came with uh, his encyclical on the climate. And he, uh, it was a long, long document, but in the end, towards the last points, I will read part of, part of this, uh, these last points here. He said, on Sunday, or... Participation in the Eucharist has special importance. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. Now, this is interesting. So, he's talking about Sunday. He's pointing to the Sabbath, the, the true Sabbath. And say, yeah, it's like the Jewish Sabbath, calling it Jewish. And... And then he explains it, and then he is actually quoting part uh, from Exodus. He says, the law, he goes on and says, the law of the weekly rest forbade work on the seventh day, so that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your maidservant and stranger may be refreshed. But now this is interesting how he connects this with the climate. He says, uh, rest opens our eyes to the larger picture and gives us renewed sensitivity to the right of others. 
and so the day of rest centered on the Eucharist sheds its light on the whole week and motivates us to greater concern for nature and the poor. I don't know about you, but to me this is quite alarming. I will show you in a moment why. Uh, some uh, are opposed to this idea that this would have anything to do with Bible prophecy, but I will show you why I believe that this is significant. I believe that we are to take care of the climate, of, you know, take care of the, the nature, the environment, absolutely good. But when you start linking a day to say, we should, you know, he's basically, basically he's saying, keep, keep Sunday for the climate and the poor. That's what he's saying here. And then he, he continues, he says, it is my hope that all world leaders and all God's children would, uh, oh, sorry, I'm, now I'm actually going ahead myself. This is, this is uh, Obama making a statement the same day. It is my hope that all world leaders and all God's children will reflect on Pope Francis' call to come together to care for our common home. And Obama, uh, he, he basically gave the same reasons as Pope Francis. Uh, when Pope Francis came with these reasons, you know, of, for the nature and the poor, um, Obama uh, is basically mentioned some of the same some of the same um, important areas. We need to take care of the poor, we need to take care of the, the nature, uh, but then the difference is Obama is directly connecting it to Sunday. But as we know, this is Obama's moral leader, as we saw earlier. He called it a moral leader in word and deed. So this should, I mean, when Obama so fully is backing up um, this, uh, and let me, let me read what he said in the beginning of his official statement from the White House the same day. I welcome His Holiness, have it here, part of it. I welcome His Holiness, Pope Francis' encyclical and deeply admire the Pope's decision to make the case clearly, powerfully, and with a full moral authority. He says this, he says it here, according to, you know, what the Pope had been saying, all of his encyclical, of course, but he's calling it with full moral authority of his position for action on global climate change. And then it goes on, it says, as Pope Francis so eloquently stated this morning, we have a profound responsibility to protect our children and our children's children from the damaging impacts of climate change. I believe the United States must be a leader in this effort. So he's talking about the climate, right? And, and, and nature. Uh, uh, it says, which is why I am committed to take bold actions at home and abroad to, to cut carbon pollution, to increase clean energy and energy efficiency, to build res resilience in vulnerable communities and to encourage responsible stewardship of our na uh, natural resources. We must also protect the world's poor who have been done, uh, who have done the least to contribute to this looming crisis and stand to lose the most if we fail to avert it. So then, it is then that he came to this statement as I read in the end, towards the end, there is my hope that all world leaders and all God's children will reflect on Pope Francis' call to come together. And in fact, in Pope Francis' encyclical, he's addressing this to the whole world as well, uh, which is usually not done in, a, in an encyclical. So this is Obama's world and moral leader um, that is encouraging us to keep Sunday uh, for the poor and for the climate. Listen to this quote from Spirit of Prophecy. And when you read this, I mean, I hope you see the connection. I think it's quite clear. Satan puts his interpretation upon events, and they think, as he would have them, that the calamities which fill the land are a result of Sunday breaking. 
thinking to appease the wrath of God, these influential men make laws enforcing Sunday observance. They think that by exalting this false rest day higher and still higher, compelling obedience to the Sunday law, the spurious Sabbath, they are doing God's service. Can you see the connection? I mean, this is not happening right now, but it's a good beginning that the Pope is saying, hey, let's keep Sunday. You know, Sunday is good uh, for the poor and for the nature. And in the future, we can expect the calamities which fills the land, things that are destroying the, the, the earth. Uh, this will be, uh, it says, the calamities which fill the land are a result of Sunday breaking. So basically, you know, when the world is trying to, to make, where the world leaders are trying to make the world a better place and then it doesn't work, what are they going to say? According to this, it must be the result of Sunday breaking. Let's, let's do something, but we have to make some more drastic moves here. And that's when it says, thinking to appease the wrath of God, these influential men, men make laws enforcing Sunday observance. So, um, basically, we will see also in a, in a quote in a moment that, I mean, the people is going to want to have these things. You're going to see, this is important. To make these laws, you know, we need to come together. Um, now, in Revelation, uh, again, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 13, it says, He performs great signs. Um, he, he does great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. This is the second beast. Um, the world is going to be amazed. And as Ellen White said, spiritism is going to be involved. Um, people is going to believe that God is doing this. God is blessing this. And I don't know if you've seen some of these video clips of the more charismatic movements where people are, you know, having, this, so to say, having the Holy Spirit and they're lying in cramps on the floor and all kinds of weird stuff is happening and healing here and there and, and like this. Uh, and they're saying this is the Holy Spirit. You know, fire is a symbol of the, the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Um, so could it be that uh, part, uh, it would be some similar things as that? And we also know it, it's coming from, remember, when Elijah and, and Baal, Baal's prophets, uh, they had their altars and they said, okay, look now, who is serving the, right, the true God? And then fire came down from heaven uh, on Elijah's uh, sacrifice, and God uh, proved, or the, it proved that God is... Uh, there's only one God, and it's the uh, God of Israel. So, um, of, uh, in, in 2000, was it 14 or 13, uh, we had this, uh, when we heard, it was 14, I believe, this charismatic evangelical leadership conference uh, by, hosted by Kenneth Copeland, uh, which, um, uh, you know, all the many charismatic leaders were gathered. And then you have this Anglican bishop, Tony Palmer, who uh, came there and, and spoke, and how he said, the protest is over. Remember that? Some of you have familiar with it, I believe. Uh, and, uh, you know, all, you see of all these charismatic leaders are like embracing this, this idea. Wow, the protest is over. Let's, let's go, you know, let, let's come together as one again. You know, there is no more protest. Let's come back to the, to the church. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be such a false unity set up by Satan. And people, are, it's going to appear good. You know, do this for common good. 
Do this for the climate. We need to come together. Do this for, uh, for, for every, all good in the world. You know, and as the Pope is traveling around the world, he's visiting the poor, he's visiting prisons, he's doing, it appears that he's doing the same works as Christ, as some people do. Oh, look at him. But don't be fooled. This Pope is a Jesuit. I mean, if we know where the Jesuits are coming, I mean, and I don't, I don't know, honestly, how much this man, I mean, he's a man still, who believe that the Antichrist is the papacy and not the Pope himself, uh, but he's a Jesuit, so he should know a whole lot more than a regular Catholic. Um, so I believe, I mean, and as you see how he has been just been acknowledged so, so fast and, 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 uh, and doing so many things that peop many people applause, uh, things are going to, more things are going to change soon. Uh, verse 14, it says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast was wounded by the sword and lived. Okay, and verse, uh, I can read verse 15 as well. He was granted power to uh, give breath to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, let's talk a little bit about the image of the beast. Um, an image, what is an image? I mean, what, what, what is it in this concept? An image of something. It's like looking in the, like looking in the mirror, right? And in fact, this word image here, the same word was used for Christ revealing the image in the image of God, revealing, revealing his image in, from Colossians 1.15. Um, and in order to understand what the image is, we need to know what the, what the papacy is standing I mean, what, what, what characteristics they have. I mean, I looked at some of them, and there is more. Uh, but this is what is going to happen. So basically, the second base, the United States, is going to create an image. And they are going to cause as many as who do not worship this image or worship the first beast, the papacy, to be killed. So it's going to involve some, uh, some, some loss. Uh, and... Spirit of Prophecy, she's, uh, she's explained this very well in Great Controversy, page 445. She says, When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points of doctrine as uh, are held by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy. So do you see this? It's going to come from the people. The people are going to suggest this to the state. Look, you know, they are going to, to, uh, to you know, come to agree with, with so many of these points uh, of doctrine as the, as the papacy. They're, they're going to influence the state and try to enforce their decrees, uh, to enforce their decrees to... Uh, so basically, this is Protestant America who will then come to their state and say... Here, you know, here is, we should do this. This is how they will form uh, an image of the papacy, an image of the beast. Continues in the quote to say, And the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will be inevitably uh, result. The image of, uh, to the beast represents that form of apostate Protestantism, which will be developed when the Protestant churches shall seek the aid of the civil power for the enforcement of their dogmas. So church and state will unite in Protestant America. 
and a lot will have to change, you know, both with the Protestants and with, with the policy, the law. So, an image of the first beast uh, would be America with the church, with the Protestant church, and state united, uh, functioning much of the same principles as the papacy. So, it's going to be a reflection of this, this foundation. Um, so, like I said, the United States they will have to go against their constitution, and then that's, that's, you know, this is when the mark of the beast is coming. Uh, if you don't worship the beast, or um, worship the image, or follow, you know, these man-made rules, uh, the image of the beast, you will be threatened to death. And isn't this what Jesus said in Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 7? You know, it's some, it's sim something similar here. Um, sorry, it was uh, when Jesus was in the wilderness, uh, it's, Satan is, is saying to Jesus, If you therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. If you just worship, if you just accept these laws and follow them, don't worry, you will still be able to buy and sell. You'll, you'll be fine. But if not, you can't buy or sell. I believe this is also a process, you know, and finally you'll be killed if you don't do it, if you don't accept these things. So it was talking here in the text, it says in verse 15, um, that the image of the beast shall both speak. So it's quite clear this is going to evolve some kind of loss. Okay, uh, so now, now the, the repetition of the history of the Dark Ages is going to come. Uh, similar things is going to take place if you do not uh, adhere to the principles of the papacy. So Satan is, is going to use a similar uh, method in the end as he did as he did with Jesus. You know, if you just worship me, all this will be yours. And then uh, Jesus he prophesied in Luke chapter twenty-one verse seventeen, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. So this now is the time to take a bold stand for the truth and get ready, because you know if we don't get ready now, and as as we heard in the as we have heard from some messages already, you know the importance of prayer and fasting. This is going to help us to get the character so needed for these end times. This is really uh, not a time of fooling around. We need to seek God earnestly on our knees. And get ready for this time. And finally, we God's people, when the seven last plays are coming, we're going to go through a time of Jacob's trouble. And now is the time to form the character. We have to get ready. Um, you know, it was an interesting headline in media this year, which said, which said this. Pope calls for end to fundamentalism. Referring to, you know, the harassments of ISIS. And of course, with good... Uh, good reason, but you know who will be called a fundamentalist in the very end? It's going to be those who stand up for the truth. Those who keep God's commandments. Those who say, I refuse to keep Sunday. I'm, I'm, with, I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm with God. I'm with the Bible and the Bible alone. These will be called fundamentalists because the word fundamentalist, you know, in, to, to a beginning it was a positive thing, you know, you were sticking to the word of God, but now it's a negative, negative word. So one day, God's true people will be called fundamentalists. Um, now, as many of you have uh, have seen and maybe perhaps followed, 
you saw that Pope Francis uh, visited the United States this year and uh, some significant things happened there as well. First of all, he met with Obama at the White House and had a speech there. And uh, then he addressed U.S. Congress as the first pope ever, uh, first head of the papacy that have addressed U.S. Congress. And here some interesting things happened. First of all, during his speech, if you have, if you have watched it, you, you, you saw quickly that, you know, first, as he came in, standing ovations. After he had said a few words, again, standing ovations. Like six times or something during the whole speech, standing ovations. People were just, you know, wow. Wow, how are you speaking? So he spoke to the hearts of, 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 of many of the different politicians there. Um, and in fact, uh, here's, some, here's some what the news said regarding this. New York Times called it a milestone in the journey of, um, uh, in the, journey of the Roman Catholic Church. And indeed, it was a, a milestone for sure. And then CNN called it a reshaping of Catholic politics. And then later on the television, CNN wrote uh, there, together with a video, it said, Pope Francis emerging as global political leader. And then Huffington Post, they said, Pope Francis wants to be president of the world. So this is reflecting the ideas of, of many. Uh, uh, I mean, so you see how things are changing, the mindset of people, how they're changing. And... So you saw how he spoke to both, uh, this was supported by media also, that he, how he spoke both to the hearts of both Republicans and Democrats. Um, as I said earlier, there were, there were many Catholics in the U.S. Congress, and in fact, at, when he, as he was speaking here, about one-third of those who listened in the U.S. Congress were Catholics, I read in the news. At this speech, the Pope was warning for religious extremism. Again, a warning. Uh, and then he was citing American profiles such as Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, uh, and, and he said, we must move forward together as one in a renewed spirit and fraternity. He's using this word a lot, I've noticed, fraternity. And solidarity, cooperating generously for the common good. I mean, it sounds good on the surface. This is why I believe not so many people are, are noticing that something is, is wrong. But if we know Bible prophecy, this should, this should cause some, some caution from our side. Because we know the unity the beast is going to form is, is a bad kind of unity. Um, and then he referred to his encyclical that he delivered earlier on the climate. Uh, where, as I said, where he talked about Sunday keeping. Uh, as that was lifted up as one of the solutions. Uh, and then he said, he, he said this uh, during the speech also, we need a conversation which includes everyone since the en en environmental challenge, the environmental challenge we are undergoing and its human roots concern and affect us all. And then New York Times wrote this, lawmakers snapped photographs with smartphones and interrupted the speech about 30 times with applause. Ah, it was maybe more than what I said. Um, not long ago, the prospect of the head of the Catholic Church addressing Congress would have been unthinkable. Catholics in politics were a source of suspicion and a subject of slander for generations. Today, the pendulum has swung. The world has started to wander. Something is happening. 
And I believe many things are happening behind the scenes which we don't know much about. But we do get some clues as we know Bible prophecy and look and watch and pray um, and get ready. Then we know that he addressed the United Nations. And this is interesting because he, he vertically addressed almost all the heads of the states of the world. And during this meeting, um, he, he said, Any harm done to the environment is harm to humanity. Quite a strong statement. Any harm done to the environment is harm to humanity. So in other words, if he would consider not keeping Sunday harm to the environment, it would go under this too, right? Um, so then also he, he participated in the world meeting for families. Uh, and also earlier he has been meeting with leaders of evangelicals, Lutherans, Mormons, Jews, Orthodox, Muslim, all kinds of religions. You just see, I mean, I can barely catch up with all the things he's doing because so much is happening in relation to this. Um, so, okay. Uh, now I have a quote and I have a few quotes more and a story and then, then I will wrap this up. So, uh, bear with me. Okay, Great Controversy, page 590. It says, and then the great deceiver will persuade men that uh, those who serve God are causing these evils. The class that have provoked the displeasure of heaven will charge all their troubles upon those whose obedience to God's commandments is a perpetual reproof to transgressors. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced, and that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troubles of the people, troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. So, it's quite uh, interesting how this is prophesied and how uh, we see things are developing now. Uh, so basically what will happen is those who are serving God, uh, those, who, um, those who are serving God will be accused for causing the evils that is taking place. And this is why, these quotes I have read now, this is why I, I believe that with this with the climate and Sunday stuff, uh, this is of great concern. Uh, how he's framing this, because he didn't put it, uh, I mean, he could have put it like somewhere in the middle about this Sunday, but he put it in the end as one of the last points. Uh, and, and the fact that Obama calls him a moral leader and encourage all to follow him and support him in what he's doing, and if he really will even stronger suggest Sunday, what do you think will happen? I think we will say, oh, great idea. Maybe not right now, but you see how he's trying to reach all the religions and all the Christians. And as this great, uh, you know, 500 years of Reformation uh, is, is coming to, uh, uh, the 500 years of Reformation um, commemoration is coming together. I mean, all these things together is telling me that something is going on. The world is wandering. And even, even in this, the Catholic Church is number one. I mean, they are saying, yeah, yeah, we want to be part of this. We're going to commemorate this together. 
come let's and let, let's think together let's think what happened and forget the past and move forward in unity i i don't know i mean i don't know what what tomorrow holds uh, but i know that god is holding tomorrow in his hands and we need to develop a character now to stand through this this hard time that is ahead um and uh the theme year of this uh, 500 years of Reformation celebration, this, this concept, the theme year for this year has been Reformation, Image, and the Bible. Again, Revelation 13. All of these themes are fitting to Revelation 13. Because the next one is this, for 2016. Reformation and one world. You saw the globe, you saw the globe in one color, red, the color of Reformation. And... So the Protestants now, in the, the churches in Germany, they have come together under this theme to create a document. How are we going to do this? Reformation in one world. So now the churches have come together. They have formed a strategy to accomplish this goal. And they have made a joint document that you can read online if you understand German. Uh, maybe it will come in English uh, soon, I guess so, because they want not only this to be Germany. But, you know, when things are taking place at the place of the Reformation is quite significant. I mean, it, I, I believe it's gonna, going to affect the rest of the world also. But as you saw, all of the rest of the world, regarding the Luther Guardian, they've been following this. Yeah, we're with you. Um, anyhow, so this document, it's, it has a defined liturgy, a defined way of how the church service is going to look like. So all the churches there, they have agreed, okay, we're gonna, let's, let's do a church service like this. They have the same songs, and there are new songs, and they're going to have dialogue sermons with people from different churches coming in and have a dialogue. And sadly again, uh, sadly the Seventh-day Adventist Church is part of it. I don't know if it's the North Union or, or a conference, uh, but they're in this. Um, so, I, I, when I say this, I, I really, I mean, significant things are happening, and we, and we need to make sure... Uh, we are uh, following the Lamb wherever He goes, nowhere else. And uh, so we see we have one group that will be faithful to the beast, one group faithful to God, keep His commandments, uh, have the patience, uh, and uh, uh, follow the Lamb wherever He goes. So there were basically two groups as a result of two kinds of reformations and revivals false revival, false unity. True revival, true unity in Christ and through his word, based on his word that follows the lamb, follows Christ uh, wherever he goes. So there are really hard times ahead. And uh, God, he is going to send his Holy Spirit in the latter rain to the faithful ones. And in fact, you know, two keys to latter rain in Joel chapter 2. Uh, one is unity. The other one is sanctification. Study your Joel too. These are, these are two important things. So true unity is going to take place among God's people. So I believe, even though we have problems in our church, God is going to help us. And that's why we need to, we need to have the right focus. We need to, like Ellen says, the watchword of the Christian, watch, pray, work. If we forget to protest, we forget our message. We are called, I believe, to protest quote-unquote, by sharing the three endless messages in Revelation 14, lifting up Christ, lifting up the truth, and 
the, the Greek word for, for church, ecclesia, means what? The call out ones. This is why we have, we're going to call people out of Babylon or out of false systems into God's one church. Ephesians says there's one church, one body. And this is where Christ is going to gather the remnants in the end. You see this in Joel, in Nehemiah, in Ezekiel. God is going to gather a remnant in the end into his ecclesia, into his church, into his called out ones. So are you ready to stand up for the truth? To call people out? Because we need to warn people. There are true people, as I said, there are true, you know, there are, there are loving and, and, and sincere people out in Babylon. And we are to call them out. Now, one more quote and a story, and, and we're, we'll finish. In Great Controversy, page 571, and it says, The Roman church now presents a fair front to the world, covering with, with apologies her record of horrible cruelties. She has clothed herself in Christ-like garments, but she is unchanged. Every principle of the papacy that existed in past ages exists today. The doctrines devised in the darkest ages are still held. Let none deceive themselves. The papacy that Protestants are now so ready to honor is almost like she's talking about now. Isn't that true now? The papacy the Protestants are now so ready to honor is the same that ruled the world in the days of the Reformation. When men of God stood up in the peril of their lives to expose her iniquity, she possesses the same pride and arrogant assumption that lorded it over kings and princes and claimed the prerogatives of God. Her spirit is no less cruel and despotic now than when she crushed out human liberty and slew the saints of the Most High. Quite strong statement, uh, quite describing that the papacy is unchanged. It is the same. I mean, why? How can Protestants be so ready, as she says, to honor the papacy, forgetting all the past and believing that great changes have been made? So let us not let us not sleep. We need to wake up, I believe, when looking into the world today. Um, uh, not all people see, see it, what is going on. They're saying, you know, don't talk about Revelation 13. We don't know if this is, you know, what is happening now, if this is really what he's talking about. But Elamite, she has another quote, which I didn't include here, I believe. Um, no, actually, I have it here. Let me, I will share with you in a moment. Let me share with you a story first. Uh, William Hunter. Has anyone of you heard about William Hunter? Not so known. I had not heard about him until uh, a few days ago. So William Hunter, he lived uh, during the Reformation. In the fifth, he was born in 1535. And he lived in England. And England had been breaking away from the Catholic Church. And, but now a new queen came, Mary. And she was determined to return England to the Catholic Church. So now... Uh, a, a time of persecution started against the Protestants. And now, uh, William Hunter, he had been trained from his early youth by good parents, teaching the Reformation truth, if you want. And uh, so he had a good, good childhood, learning about important things. So he, he was really, you know, uh, on fire for, for God. And so when he was 19 years old, it was sent out an order that everyone in the city 
everyone in the city of London, they had to att attend the Catholic Mass. But he said, I'm not going to go. He didn't go. He refused. What happened? He lost his job. And then he was found at his home one day reading the Bible. And now they wanted him to deny his faith in Jesus. They wanted him to deny these things and follow the church. He said, no, I refuse. So he basically denied the validity of the teachings of the Catholic Church. Now he was threatened uh, to be sent before the bishop. And then he was taken there. Uh, and uh, it was promised to him, you know, you will get security and pardon if you just recant. You know, just take back what you've done. It will be, it will be okay. He refused. But the bishop said, well, you know, you only have to go to confession. That will be fine. Only confession and this is okay. William would not do so for all in the world. He was faithful. And up, when the bishop commanded, the bishop commanded him to be put in stocks for two days. He, 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 he got a little bit, a small piece of bread and a little bit of water. He didn't touch it for two days. He was there in the stocks. And he had not repented. He was steadfast in faith. Now he was sent to prison for nine months. And during the prison, he had to go before the bishop five times, uh, but he was still unchangeable. He refused bribery. He refused threats. He refused to give up his beliefs. Now he was sent back to his hometown to be burned. And what happened was, as he was there, right to be burned, he knelt down there and he read from Psalms 51. He had a book, book of Psalms there. He read his words. He said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God thou wilt not despise. He refused the queen's pardon. The chains were put on him. Now he, he, he took his book of Psalms and threw it to his brother. And his brother told him, he said, William, think on the holy, on the holy passion of Christ and be not afraid of death. His response was, Behold, I am not afraid. And then he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Lord, 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 receive my spirit. And he died. Friends, this can come to be a scenario for you in the future. Something similar. We know what happened in the Dark Ages. And we know how hard it was. But these are the heroes of faith we can look back to as well as in the Bible and persecution. There are hard times ahead, and uh, who wants to be faithful to God? Uh, last quote, again from Ellen White, she says, We are to give the, uh, to the people the warnings contained in Revelation. But many workers are engaged in a line of work that is disqualifying them to preach the word and do the very work God has appointed them to do. The truth in regard to the Sabbath of the Lord is to be proclaimed. The seventh day is to be shown to the, to the seal of the living God. People are to be shown what they may expect from the papal power. The time has come when the Protestant churches are reaching out to grasp the hand of the power that has made void the law of God. This is the message Satan would have silenced. Shall this message be considered as inferior matter? Who will give the warning? 
we are called to give the warning before it happens. Some say, I've heard even some amateurs say, let's wait until it happens to see, you know, don't, don't speak loud about this, you're making fool out of ourselves. But the warnings already come before, not after. Then it's too late. And especially in relating to this prophecy. So who wants to speak up? Who wants to deliver this last message? I want to come with an appeal to you as we close. Uh, if you want to, together with me, share. If you're ready to share the three angels' messages to this world, no matter what it will cost you, no matter if it will cost you changing your job, because the job you have right now, maybe it is hindering you, or maybe it will even cost you your life in the future. Uh, all kinds of misery. You will be hated by all men for my name's sake, as Christ said. Whatever it will cost you, if you're willing to share this message of the three angels, the last message of the world, you can stand up uh, together with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we have been going through uh, one of the last prophecies to take place in this world. And Lord, it is indeed not an easy time that it lies ahead. And I believe, as we have seen, that the world has started to wander. And Father, you love all these people in these, uh, in these systems, uh, all the people in Babylon. You, you love uh, yeah, even us, Father. I ask that you may call people out from, from these uh, false systems and use us, Father. You see where we're standing. We want to share your message to the world. But Father, help us first to accept this, this message uh, ourselves so that we can efficient, efficiently spread it to be a living example, reflecting Christ, lifting up Christ, through all this message because this is what it's about help us Lord to follow you wherever you go and be good testimonies to the world that is my prayer in Jesus name Amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.org.